Hello and welcome to another episode of Film Friday. I'm Kevin Kyo and this week I have on Mr. Lee Coffey. How are we doing, Lee? I'm good, Kev. How's it going? What's Thanks going? for having me. Ah, excited to have Lee on. Um, when I started this podcast, Lee was one of the top three people. I was like, can't wait to have Lee on. Get some in-depth conversations oh, about some three. stuff. How many was yeah. there? Only three. Yeah, there's only three. I nearly came in fourth. <laughs> I was like, all right, I know I can get at least three people to come on a podcast. And talk about, so. <laughs> three people at least owe me some favors. I can get them on and we can talk about films for an hour. Um, yeah, Lee, tell the people a bit about yourself. Introduce yourself. Come on. So, my name is Lee Coffey. I'm a playwright and directed once or twice but mainly a playwright and I'm looking to move into film and TV predominantly playwriting so a couple of plays under my belt five or six I've written for a couple of colleges and then I have a couple of new pieces starting next year which is good so that's pretty much me I write stuff yeah he undersold himself Lee is um, a very very good playwright Um, he had a play on the Abbey last year before Covid here yeah, it was 2019. Thank God it happened when it did, because I was thinking about it. We closed in March this year, and I was in development for a new play at the time, but it was only development. It had been the Abbey, you know, your Abbey debut. Uh, and it During closed COVID. Over. During COVID. And it, that happened to people, I'm sure. Not in Ireland anyway with the Abbey, but it, it definitely happened across the world somewhere. So uh, I know so many playwrights and that have lost four, five, six, seven shows. It's ridiculous. But we're all in the same boat, so... We'll push on. So you got in just in time. But basically, yeah, Lee, in the words of Ron Burgundy, he's kind of a big deal in the playwriting world. No, not at all. <laughs> and humble <laughs> as well. Um, so really excited to have Lee on. Get his, uh, his uh, insider's track view on some things, you know? Uh, here, if, you, if I make anything like 5% as good as what we're about to talk about, I'll die a happy man. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so Lee yeah no it's not Lee picked um, The Amazing Forrest Gump it's a brilliant film and when we said this already like when I said it to you earlier and we chatted there was no other film that I really put had in my head that I wanted to chat about because Forrest Gump to me is it's probably my favourite film of all time you have different films you want to watch at different times you know if you want a good laugh you have a particular film if you're in the middle of a little tear you know you put on a particular film but Forrest Gump I think actually has everything. It's sad. It's funny. It's dramatic. It's historical. It's educational. I learned so much from Forrest Gump. I think I learned more about American history and politics than I did in my whole time in school <laughs> from Forrest Gump. Because once it's in a film, you're going, "Oh, what's this? This is interesting." <laughs> Tom Hanks is there talking about it and following. Tom it. Hanks is in it. Yeah. Tom Hanks is in it. Who doesn't like Tom Hanks? Nobody. Yeah. So and that's why I think yeah. was the. The, the best film that I could think of to want to chat for, you know, chat with you about. 100%, man. For those of you who don't know about Forrest Gump, it was released in 1994, uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis. How do I pronounce Is that how you pronounce his name? Robert Zemeckis. Zemeckis, yeah. Uh, the fellow that did Back to the Future, I believe. He did, yeah. He's done loads of films. Like, he's done Back to the Future. He did, obviously, Forrest Gump. He did Cast Away. He did Polar Express. Who, fra- he's oh, not- who, who framed Roger Rabbit? Who framed Roger Rabbit, which is brilliant. <laughs> and he's known for his visual effects in films. Because if you look at, like, Forrest Gump, obviously, when they're recreating a lot of the people of our history that have passed away, or so many people get shot. 
Everybody getting shot in this film. Every <laughs> second is, yeah. scene, he's saying. I only noticed that watching it again. I was like, Jesus Christ! Every second scene, he's like, ah, for no particular reason. Somebody shot Ben Nice Man. And like, okay, and it's always right, for no particular enough. reason. It's like no yeah. particular reason. Somebody <laughs> shot that man, which is true. But he, uh, Robert Zemeckis, I was looking up, looking him up. Sorry, because his name pops up on so many films that I didn't even know he directed. But I think across the board with this film, the cast production team the uh, cinematography the music like it's all brilliant like alan Silvestri did the music and the mm-hmm. music just makes you cry and he, uh. he he also did back to the future he did avengers endgame he did civil war like he's done a load of film like amazing films then he's done some really random ones he did like lilo and stitch <laughs> the <laughs> lesser known film. oh great <laughs> film then he did like lilo and stitch 2 which i don't think yeah. anybody's seen Nobody even knew there was a second one. <laughs> there is. I think I watched that on the Disney Channel when I was like 12. Yeah, it's, it's somebody's revenge. It's like Lilo and Stitch, Blank's revenge. I don't know who. <laughs> Why is it who... <laughs> always the revenge of like, isn't that in Aladdin as well? Jafar's revenge. Return of Jafar. Yeah, it's because people <laughs> like revenge films. Yeah. Like the, Liam Neeson's, half of Liam Neeson's career now. <laughs> it's revenge it's, it's, it's films. Revenge films. It's just something happens to Liam Neeson and he's going to go back and get it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and it. Just, I'm waiting for the film where it's like his bike is taken or <laughs> you know, something really mundane. Someone robs his yeah, someone, Yeah, someone eats his sandwich. It's like that yeah, episode he's... of Friends except with Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah. My sandwich! My sandwich! And it would be much it'll be much funnier for Liam Neeson. <laughs> Like the episode of um, someone life's too short. Yeah, it's a great one, and he's doing the green grocery. Yeah, thing. life's too short. It's drama. Yeah, and here, just when you were talking about the film and the cast and stuff, like Tom Hanks wasn't even the original. He they didn't want him for the film initially. They wanted John Travolta. That's mad, isn't it? Imagine that Danny and, Zuko playing fucking. Uh, and this film. was even before John Travolta's, because this was released the same year as Pulp Fiction. So oh, I wow. don't know. I don't know if that was a particular reason why he didn't because he was filming Pulp Fiction because that was his comeback. Mm. And if that was his comeback, imagine what this would have been. Um, imagine if he if did he, both of them. If he did both of them, which obviously is plausible. You could do it if one is filming in the early ha- half of the year and the second in your schedule's a line. Like, yeah. And I was looking at some of the casting choices for it and who they actually wanted. And I found a couple, you know, for... Uh, so obviously Robin Wright, she was always meant to be in it. Gary Sinise, who plays... Lieutenant Dan, who's brilliant, who was nominated. I think he was nominated for best supporting actor for the for the role. They wanted Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. Like Joe Pesci was being considered for that role, and then Gary Sinise auditioned, and they said, "Okay, we we'll go with him." Like Joe, my Joe, it just wouldn't work with Joe Pesci and John Travolta. <laughs> as far as Gump and Lieutenant I'd, Dan, I would pay a lot of money to see that film, though. So would I. And John Travolta is quoted as saying that he regrets not being in the film. Which, oh, understandably. Yeah, and then they also wanted, uh, they considered Bill Murray and Chevy Chase <clears throat> to play Forrest Gump. Bill Murray, I could never see Bill Murray playing He's Forrest too Gump. too old. But also, he never, I don't think I could ever buy Bill Murray as like a, not an idiot, but like a... Yeah, I know what you mean, but also neither of them can run. <laughs> which seems a pivotal part of this film do you reckon that was part of the casting right be like alright I love Tom Hanks but can he run <laughs> who's fit like Tom Hanks was in his 40s I think when they made this film it was what 26 years ago yeah he would have been late 30s maybe I think he's in his mid 60s but I couldn't imagine him and then Sean Penn apparently was their other choice I could see that I suppose 
yeah, I can see champagne. But Tom Hanks read the script and he signed on straight away, or an hour after, or really? so he read the script, which was an hour and a half, and he just signed on. Yeah. All right. And, so the the budget for it, I'll cut you off now here because I want to ask you this: the budget for it was fifty five million. How much do you think it made at the box office? I I, I looked this up. Ah, um, you fucking cheater, you. Yeah, I told you, I did my <laughs> research on this film and I love it so much. It You're just making million. everybody else feel bad now. <laughs> no, I love Forrest Gump, man. I love it. It made 400 million, I think. No, and its entire box office run it made 683.1 million. Wait, I knew that. Actually, I have it written down in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> and you it's still get it wrong. It's on the next page. <laughs> because I have written here, right, the, the box office takings and I also have... The, at when it when it was released, obviously it was, at the time it was the fourth grossing, highest grossing movie of all time. Wow! Yeah, That's and it was man. after That's pennies like, now. It's pennies, but I think the films that were ahead of it were like E.T., Star Wars, you know, like films that you would never consider Forrest Gump to be up against. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. where the ones? Uh, I should just tore my page, you know, my notes. <laughs> <laughs> it was there. <laughs> Okay, for those for anybody who hasn't seen Forrest Gump, um, Lee, I want you to give us a ten second summary of the entire film, right? Now I assume Lee has clearly done his homework, so I assume it's it's, yeah, it's like because you know I there's only really been one guest that has nailed it, and uh, I think that's been Hartley for Empire Strikes Back. So I want to see, you know, I assume that you've been practicing. I haven't. I haven't actually given it any thought as how I'd explain it. Good, good. I'm delighted. (laughs) Good. All right, you ready? I'm going to count you down. All right. Three, two, one, go. It's about a man from Alabama who has learning disabilities that runs his way across America while falling in love, fighting the Vietnam War. (laughs) That was terrible. Yeah, you took so much of a pause at the start. I I told you I had no preparation. I was trying to jump my way into it. I was like, right, what do I need to say? Where will I start? Where he's from? He's from he's from Alabama. <laughs> I mean, you got the bait. I'd say if you had like another t- eight seconds, you would have got to the end. I would have, because of all the films as well. There's so much to explain. Like as I was kind of rambling in there, yeah. Because everything that happens, like it's it's that's why I love Forrest Gump so much. Because not only, as I said earlier on, it makes you laugh, it makes you cry, but you learn so much from it, and it spans such a, a huge part of American history. Mm-hmm. And he unknowingly influences a load <laughs> of really famous moments in American culture, or he comes in contact with a lot of really influential figures in that uh, cultural revolution that was happening because it goes through the Vietnam War and all that. We'll get into that, but yeah, that's why I love it so much because I didn't know anything when I first saw this film. I, th- I was actually thinking about it. This is the first film I remember as a kid that I watched that everybody I knew liked it. Yeah. Okay. So. I never spoke to anybody in my class. Do you know when you're in school and there's like a half nine movie on when you're a kid and there's, everybody watches it and it's almost, they talk about it the next day in school and the, the next day there's always someone who says, yeah, I thought it was shit. But with Forrest Gump, <clears throat> I think it was released in 94, so I was five. And then obviously it would have been really uh, played on television then subsequently, but it was yeah. the first film I remember being universally loved by everybody except my, my mom hates this film. What? She doesn't Why? like his performance. She doesn't like him. She thinks he annoys her and she hates the way he talks. Well, you, I think your ma is probably the only person I've ever heard of it anyway that dislikes Tom Hanks at anything. No, she likes Tom Hanks. She just doesn't like him in this film. 
that's mad man he's so enduring like oh, and he, like his voice is so it's like it uh his he's your childhood it is it's a childhood is a good thing but you feel like I you're think, being led by a child yeah i think he's akin to robin williams that anybody that grew up in the 90s loves robin williams for the films he didn't robin williams was another one that i would have probably chosen the robin williams movie because i love him tom hanks mm. is similar in that vein he's yeah. Like, load of his huge hits, and he was kind of making that transition in his career. He was going from those 80s rom-com buddy comedy, you know, movies Turner that he used to make, like Turner and Hooch and Big, um, mm-hmm. Splash. And then he was making the transition into, like, obviously he had, I think You Got Mail was after this, but this was his first transition. Made, I think Philadelphia was actually the year before this. Yeah. Um, it was 1993. Did he, get, did he get nominated for an Oscar for Philadelphia? He won the Oscar for Philadelphia won? and for Forrest Gump. He was the first actor oh. since, I think, Spencer Tracy. The first actor in like 50 years to win consecutive Best Actor Oscars. And wow. then all of a sudden, his career, because around the same time, I think this year or the year after was Toy Story. <laughs> Classic. And then we would have grown up with Toy Story 1, 2, and then 3, and now they're doing 4. So your whole childhood has been Toy Story and your whole adulthood, really, as well. You've grown up with it. And so you've grown up with Tom Hanks. Yeah, I love, I think Tom Hanks' voice in Toy Story is just a fa- so funny. Just, it's so exasperated and he's just he's constantly screaming. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> and he's, the juxtaposition between him and Tim Allen, because Tim Allen's just real laid back and real yeah. cool and real suave. And then you have this basket case of a toy just running around the place, screaming all the time. <laughs> Turn this into it's a what, Toy Story podcast. I know, I'm talking about Toy Story more, but no, Tom Hanks. Uh, yeah, Tom Hanks. And it, what, that's what, sorry, go ahead. Now, what what do you think? Because the first thing I've seen, so the film starts obviously with the music. What do you think the feather symbolizes? I did. I was reading about the feather because there's a couple of. What do you um, think? What, I think it's what Forrest Gump says at Jenny's uh, gravestone. <laughs> Spoiler. The exact same as well. Oh yeah, my God. that's what I think it is. <laughs> And yeah. I think Sally Field in an interview said the exact same thing. She thinks it's destiny and the fact that a feather is something that could be so random yeah. and the chances of that landing at your feet are really slim. But what if it was always destined to land at your feet? Yeah. And I actually life... wrote what he says. He says, what's he say? We are all, we're all. So did I. <laughs> you go on, you say it then. You say it. You do it, go on. It says, we're all, we, I don't know if Lieutenant Dan was right and that we're all floating around accidental like. Or if Mama was right and we have some sort of destiny. But I think it's a bit of both or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, it's like we're all floating around accidentally like on a breeze. I think maybe both. I think both are happening at the same time. And I think it is. I think that's what it's it's just. I think it's a perfect summary of what life is. It's it's random. But I think that old expression, what's for you won't pass you. I think that's what the feather uh, symbolizes. And through the film, it's. There are different opinions. They, the like Lieutenant Dan mentions destiny when he, he was supposed to die in Vietnam. And then his mom mentions destiny when she says, I was destined to be your mama. But then she says, life's like a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, but yeah. they're yeah. constantly talking about destiny and the randomness of life and how you don't know what you're going to get. But at the same time, it's all scripted. But your yeah. choice, regardless of whatever choice you make, it takes you there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I liked that idea. And because I was thinking throughout the whole film, because I forgot that he says that at the end. And then when he said it, I was like, oh, that's definitely well, what I think the Federer is. But I feel like, yeah, that's like the whole uh, synopsis of the film, even just that like lion. Yeah, I think it is as well. I think and 
it, his mom also says that line. She says, hey, we all make our own destiny for us. Yeah. So even she's saying two or three different things to him about about that. And the feather is, is perfect. Like the way it comes out of the book at the end. Yeah. And it's at almost the beginning, like we're moving on to a different story or something. Yeah, and you've, it's so brilliant because you've forgotten about it. Because at the start, I looked at the opening scene when he's sitting on the bus uh, at the bus stop. Mm-hmm. Could also, I've noticed the worst bus service in the world. He's there for about two hours, and <laughs> the bus fucking comes. And everybody he meets, their bus comes. And you're like, what bus is he waiting? <laughs> it's like it's like Dublin bus. Terrible. And for people that don't know Dublin bus, you're waiting fucking ages, and then all of a sudden two come at once, and it's always when it's raining. But in that scene, obviously, he opens the book, and it doesn't mean anything at the time. That book, the Curious George book. Yeah, and he's also wearing the Nike shoes, which you don't know what they are. Yeah, and then you forget about the feather, and maybe you forget about the book too, and the shoes until later on in the film, where you see his mother reading from the book, and it's his favorite book. He keeps yeah. it, reads it to his son, and then you see Jenny, and he's like, "She gave me the best gift anybody could ever get," and it's a pair of Nike runners. When the man is a multi-millionaire at this point in the film, <laughs> yeah, yeah, billionaire, I reckon. He does so much money. <laughs> they invested in Apple. He runs the Bubba Gump Shrimp Corporation. He's technically the inventor of Shit Happens. Yeah. Um, and he's also the that face behind face the smiley face, Have a Nice Day. Like, And what? they're all beautiful because yeah. they're so small. They're in a montage. You'll almost miss them. Mm. I, I thought, so when I first watched this film, same as you, I thought that Bubba Gump Shrimp was a company before Forrest Gump. And no, that came, just, I think it came from, didn't it? It came from it. I and I only found that out like yesterday when I was like looking this stuff up. I thought that that was already a shrimp company, and that like they just walked in there like, oh, do you know, it'd be funny if like they, they made it the bubble come shrimp company. And I looked it up and I was like, no, I they made it. They had to pay because obviously that would be copyright. Yeah, and as it was, because I know this was a novel, you know that. Yeah, yeah, um, and. Apparently there was a huge controversy which I didn't know. They only paid the writer something like three hundred and fifty grand for the rights, and he was he said he wanted a percentage of what it was going to make, and they said okay. But then the accountants rigged the books to make it look like the film didn't make any money, and wow. then there was a court case. But what they settled it with was they paid him a huge amount for the sequel to the Forrest Gump novel, which was Gump and Co., which was written the year after Forrest Gump was released as a movie. Right, and. Uh, the differences from the book are crazy. I haven't read the book. I've ordered it because I want to read it. And it wasn't <laughs> greatly received. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, like they're not even like, they're not major differences that you would, not that you wouldn't notice. I haven't read the book, so I don't know. But some huge bits like running wasn't in the book. Yeah. I, which I, is a I, major part of the film. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that um, because I, I typed it. I was trying to find out what the big differences were. And I've seen that some of the differences is that he has an uh, uh, orangutan friend named Sue, like a monkey. Named orangutan. Sue, and he goes into the jungle to, to, and he meets cannibals. Yeah, like, and he also, he's an astronaut and he's a chess player. Yeah, because he's a savant, isn't he? And yeah. uh, he's not as much of a savant in the books, sorry, in the movie. And yeah. in the in the book, they said he was not a nice person. He swore a lot. He had a really active sex life and they took all of that out. And I was reading it. It was an interview with Robert Zemeckis or it might've been one of the producers. And they said they decided to make 
the love story in the movie primary and the fantastical adventures he went on secondary. secondary. Whereas in the book, it's the opposite way around. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Would you, so say you're sitting at a bus stop and someone sat down and started talking to you this, would you be annoyed? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd be, I would. would. Yeah, well, I'd be really annoyed. I'd be, I'd have my headphones in and be like, I don't care, man. Well, I was thinking about that, man. And then I was also thinking about the idea. This was made in the 90s. And you wouldn't have had earphones, possibly, yeah, okay. in 94. But I don't know if it was now. But today's day and age, yeah, obviously, I'm just being facetious. But today's day and age, yes, <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't have. I'd go, fuck off. This is wagon. This is fucking weird. No, do you know what you'd have to be like? You're like, this is all a crock of shit. You're waffling on. Like, these are so. These are such lies. <laughs> and the only, if, like, when they first talk to me, I'd kind of hear them because I don't want to be rude. But yeah. he keeps on going. <laughs> and he just keeps going and he keeps going and obviously I love that because we're watching a film and it goes into his brain but when he goes into his brain you forget the fact that he's actually just giving this to some randomer and divulging all this information and just expelling this random incessant story <laughs> about everything and yeah. especially who he talks about you go get this this fella's on drugs <laughs> yeah this fella's mad like he's you definitely think he's from the mental ward you're like this fella says he's met three presidents uh he served in vietnam he's a billionaire and he's waiting for a bus he's a medal of honor uh <laughs> he's, he's waiting on a bus he, he he hasn't even put any research into where he's going it's literally two blocks away uh like this fella you just wouldn't and he takes uh no i, I wouldn't talk to the person at the bus stop I'd, I'd <laughs> no, no. and then i'd leave I'd walk. <laughs> do you think that um, those leg braces are actually a real thing? What do you mean? Like, uh... like, do you think back in, so, yeah, the movie was made in the 90s, but he grows up, he's like, in the 50s. In the 50s. Do you think those leg braces were actually things? Yeah, I do. Uh, I they weren't know. actually, they weren't it. in the, uh, the, the book, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the leg braces were a real thing because if you ever look back to some of the really archaic <laughs> medical <laughs> devices <laughs> they used to use back in the day, like, and I know I'm going to talk reference to Simpsons here, but there are braces that look like Lisa needs braces. Braces. Like, there are yeah. those braces. So it wouldn't surprise me if there were also leg braces that would be used to, to straighten the kid out. Even in a film that is as ridiculous in certain scenarios as Forrest Gump is, yeah. I believe it. Yeah, I think it's real. How would they work that the braces on his leg would straighten out his back? Yeah, and I, I can't remember. I watched it last night, but you never really pay too much attention to the braces until they're falling off yeah. when he's running. But I can't remember if they go under his clothes or not. <laughs> <laughs> like, how does he get dressed? I don't think they do. I think because... I've never given I remember, that any yeah, You see him... You see him going to bed and he doesn't have them on. So I reckon he probably gets up, he puts on his clothes, Pops and he puts them, them on. on every day. It's only when he's moving about the house. Yeah. Doing his what? chores. <laughs> Do you know what was really random? Like, crazy random. Why is... Maybe more why specific. Is, <laughs> yeah. Like, why is he named after the founder of the KKK? Oh, it's great. When it's... <laughs> no, sorry, not saying the KKK is great. I mean, <laughs> when... When it started, I was thinking the same thing because I forgot all about that. And I watched it last night. And when it comes up, he's named after Forrest. And I can't remember the surname. It's gone out of my head. But it's it's explained a second later when his mom says, she called me Forrest 
to remind me that sometimes people do things that just don't make sense. Yeah. And that is like, yeah, the KKK doesn't make sense. What the fuck are those people doing? So I think I think that's the answer, isn't it? Yeah, it saying. is. But I was just still saying, I was like, <laughs> still though. <laughs> I think you can do that flashback of Tom Hanks as the great uh, the great granddad with his hood. Yeah. And he goes, they were they were hoods and they rode around on horses. There. Is that dressed up as ghosts? <laughs> dressed up as ghosts and stuff. Like he literally hasn't a clue what the fuck they are. And that's the beauty of Forrest Gump. With all the He's, stuff that happens, yeah. he asks questions in a way that <clears throat> he, he isn't sure why you're being like this and he doesn't have any prejudice. Like, do you remember in the, the college scene where your man says that, he says, coons are going to school, which obviously is a fucking horrible thing to say. And he says, yeah. we had coons on our back porch. Mom just hit them with a brush. <laughs> brush. And then he says, no, they want to go to, he says the N-word, obviously. He says, they yeah, want to yeah. go to school with us. And he went, they won't go to school with us? As if to say, like, <laughs> where the fuck do they want to go to school with us? Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not a good bunch of people to go to school yeah. with. Yeah, you know we're not nice people. I think his, his outlook on the world is yeah. brilliant. Part of obviously, like, because he's he's got he's on the autistic spec- spectrum in some way. Yeah, they yeah, never, definitely. They never explain him, explain to you what it actually is. And obviously, back in the day, they wouldn't have. Like, they wouldn't have. Yeah, they wouldn't have known. I don't. Like think. my man said, when I was a kid, I would have. If it was nowadays, I would have been diagnosed with ADHD. <laughs> and sometimes you feel nowadays they are quick to diagnose kids when they they aren't and just dose them up on meds. But he, Forrest Gump, is. Uh, disabled mentally in some sort of way you just don't know what yeah. it is um, his what does that was one of my things I was like what and I guess I kind of answered but like yeah what's his actual view of the world like he doesn't like even with the war so he goes to the war and like he does no idea why they're there and um, he meets the presidents he has no idea why he's meeting. He, like like you were saying I think beforehand like so many presidents get shot and he just so casually says it. What were you saying every time he says it, He's like, for no good reason or something. Yeah, he says, and for no particular reason. Someone so like, shot that nice young man. Something yeah. always like that. And other, like, I remember he talks about John F. Kennedy getting shot. And then he talks about his brother getting shot. Ted Kennedy, mm-hmm. I think it is. And then he says, it zooms back to him in the present day sitting at the bus stop. And he said, it must be hard being brothers. And you're like, that's yeah. what he takes from the fact that from they were that. both shot. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I think he looks at it with a childish innocence. It, yeah. It's through the lens of a child, I think, is how he looks. Because even when, like, when it comes to anything sexual, like when he's in the dorm room, which is very funny. Do you remember <laughs> Jenny sneaks him into the dorm room and he sees Jenny kissing some fella and he runs over and boxes your man in the face. <laughs> and then she, she fucking, but he, that's one thing he does so well in these films. The box, you ever see punches in a film and they just look naff and they don't look real? Now he looks like he's kicking oh, the shit out of these people. The shit out of these people. And he batters him and he batters the other fella. He batters a couple of people for her. But in <laughs> that particular scene, he goes into the to her dorm room and she sneaks him in. It's been lashing rain. So he takes she takes off her clothes and um gets dry. And then he takes all he's sitting on her bed yeah. and she kisses him. And obviously he fucking jizzes himself. <laughs> uh, and, and he's like, <laughs> and the roommate, it, and it, that's funny as it is, right? and it's kind of a lovely scene because she doesn't make fun of him. She kisses no, yeah. him and says, uh, I bet that never that happened, happened in Homek. Yeah, because she says, Have you ever been with a girl before? And he says, I sit with them at Homek every day. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the examples of like, he doesn't pick up on the I, sexual in the innuendo or anything that she's trying to say or what she's alluding to and what she's inferring. He just goes along with it. And then if it, you think this scene is beautiful, then it pans out and you see her friend lying in the bed and her just eyes are wide and she's <laughs> terrified. And then she says, um, he says, 
I roomed your roommate's bathrobe. And she says, that's okay. I never really liked her anyway. <laughs> it's filled with small comedy things like that, man. It's, I think that might be one of the things that sometimes that sticks to me. Like, obviously, it's a great film and all the sad moments. But just some of the funny elements. Like, like, and I was skipping to the end, like, even, but, like, when Lieutenant Dan turns back up. And he's just like, Lieutenant Dan. Magic legs. <laughs> Every time I lose it, it's just <laughs> it's it's cause he doesn't really it's it's that innocence of being a child. He doesn't yeah. when you're a kid and if you ask a kid something, or if say if you explain and they go, Why is that man walking that way? You say, um, because his leg is sore. Why? And yeah. because he, he fell over and hurt it. Why? Because he was walking down the road and he just happened to trip, it was an accident. Why? You're like, Oh Jesus All this stuff, yeah. I think I think he's like that and there's I only noticed it last night I was taking note of how many times in the film he's brilliantly literal when yeah. people and it's always in a way he undercuts the drama I was noticing mm. you know in a way like something really horrific is happening and somebody says something that's really honest and earnest but he just undercuts it with just what a, a, a sentence that is like what do you mean or I'm yeah. confused. Or like when um, that be the case. <clears throat> Jenny, like that was a big thing for me. I was thinking, like, when Jenny, you realize that she's getting molested. Yeah. And he's just like, he was a very loving man, always hugging like, and kissing. That's her. the first one I wrote down. Like I, I put down like he's um he's a very he was a very loving man. And you're as a kid, these are one of these things that you don't pick up. I know on the Happy Gilmore one you spoke about, you get a lot of the humor when you're an adult and as a kid. And I think Forrest Gump is like that in a way. You get up you get all the kind of slapstick elements of him talking funny and running all the time and you know all the yeah. funny stuff um, but then when you get older you start to realise how good the script is and how good the dialogue is and like yeah. that bit that's a gorgeous way and gorgeous is probably the wrong word but it's a it's a poetically beautiful way to cover up the fact that she's being sexually molested by her father yeah you know, she was a very loving man and you're like oh like you don't, you don't need to say anymore it's just brilliant yeah. storytelling you, he, he paints the picture for you and you do all the work with one simple line, and I just think that's brilliant script writing. We're definitely viewing it through his lens. <clears throat> yeah, as he just it just the, the penny never drops. I feel like it in his late like uh, when he when he's older in the film, like maybe it's like in the last fifty-eight minutes, he just he has a bit more of an understanding of the world. I think. Yeah, he does. And he brings back a lot of stuff that you forget because I only remember the last night. When, when he's on that bridge, remember he comes back, he's about to go to Vietnam, so he enlists in the army and he uh, he sees Jenny and he says he, she was singing up the road as Bobby Dylan, <clears throat> this yeah. cabaret, because she was kicked out of school. Remember he saw her in Playboy, so he was in the army, sitting in the yeah. dorm. The fella said, here, check out the tits on that or something your man says, <laughs> yeah. something fucking derogatory anyway. And he hands it to him and he says, um, well, he opens it and he sees Jenny and then she got kicked out of college because the pictures were sold. And then yeah. he goes to visit her. But when he leaves and he's walking down the road with her, um, <clears throat> she says, you don't know what love is. Because he says, why don't you love me, Jenny? And yeah. that's when you first get the glimpse that she's kind of suicidal because she stands on the side and says, do you remember we used to pray? Remember the time we prayed for us and yeah. we were aboard? And that scene as well, when they're kids and they're like, dear Lord, make me aboard so I can fly away. You're like, Jesus I was looking for him in the yoke in the fucking Yeah, corn. and the music is playing over it and the, the boards are flying. But yeah. in that scene, sorry to go back to the bridge, she says, uh, you don't know what love is. And then it's later on in the film when she comes back that he's standing downstairs and she walks up the stairs and he walks beside her and says, why don't you love me, Jenny? And she says, you don't want to love me first. 
And because that's why she keeps running, because she's afraid she'll hurt him. And then he says, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. Completely bringing you back to the first uh, time they, they uh, had that conversation. Yeah. And it's just, once again, it's just brilliant writing. Mm-hmm. And even delivery, like, because some of the lines Tom Hanks has to deliver, and even the comedy, I think in the hands of a, a lesser actor, a lot of these pieces would be gimmicky and slapstick, and it would verge on the side of a comedy, but he carries those lines so well. So well. That, so well and he, he doesn't make them gimmicky he doesn't make them cheap he doesn't make them a cheap laugh he makes them honest and from mm-hmm. point of honesty which i think good actors do if it's real and you believe it the audience will believe it, believe and, it. And, and we do because it's yeah floors his, his fucking like his, his waving is so disarming like it, like some of the yeah. slapstick comedy is some of the slapstick comedy like when he just when they insert him in like the actual like I love when they do that they put him in actual historical footage but the one when it's like that that college senior saying when he picks up the book but when like you just see his head in the background just fucking taking around like looking at everybody and he picks the book up and he just gives that wipe he's like that's gum that son of a bitch and then... that son of a bitch and, yeah, and there's so many moments like that's like my favorite of all, and I think the funniest moment for me in the whole film is when Lieutenant Dan, every a member of his family has died in every great American war. Yeah, and he wanted it was his destiny to die at this war. But then, long story short, he loses his legs. Forrest saves him. He kind of blames him for it. He says, "If you ever become a shrimp boat captain, I'll be your first mate." So he's true to his word. He shows up. But when he shows up, Gump is out on the boat, and Lieutenant Dan is on the dock. And he just jumps off the boat. <laughs> like the boat is moving and it's in full speed. And he sees and he waves at him and then jumps off and then swims over to the dock, climbs up the ladder, says, Lieutenant Dan, what are you doing here? <laughs> and then they're chatting. And then they're chatting for a few minutes and you've completely forgotten about the boat. And then a few minutes later, the boat smashes into a different dock and completely obliterates it. And then he looks at him and he looks back and goes, That's my boat. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that for me is the is the funniest bit. Just how he delivers that whole moment, that scene. It's so funny. That's my boat. That's <laughs> <laughs> such a simple line. I it's heartbreaking though. The whole Bubba thing, like Forrest and Bubba are like the perfect match. And when and when they're together and like they're in even Vietnam, you're just like, uh you just every scene with them, you're just like, This is they're so good together. Like I'm so happy he has a friend, finally. Yeah, and Lieutenant Dan says it to him too. Remember when they, they enlist and it's a mirror. Oh, yeah. There's a load of mirroring in this, mirroring different scenes of Bubba, oh, sorry, of uh, Forrest with different people. So like Jenny on the bus and then they mirror that scene because she gave him a seat on the first day when nobody else wanted him to sit beside him. Seat's taken. And then... <laughs> taken. That, that's actually Tom Hanks' daughter. Is it? Says, yeah, the little bitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... She she ends up, obviously, he moves down, sits beside Jenny to become best friends. And in, in the army, nobody will let him sit down. And then he gets to Bubba and Bubba lets him sit down and they start talking. And Bubba's family obviously loves shrimp. And that scene where he just keeps talking about shrimp. And it's him giving this monologue about different ways to cook and prepare shrimp. But the scenes change as to where they are and the activities that they're doing. Yeah, so they're yeah. on the bus, they're washing the floor, they're making up their guns, they're, they're doing all sorts of they're shining their boots, they're making their beds, and he's like, you can barbecue it, saute it, grill it, boil it. <laughs> and then he's like, you got shrimp kebabs, you got shrimp barbecue, and then it cuts to the end, he just says, after about five minutes of talking about shrimp and how to prepare it, he just goes, well, well that, that's it. And they, and, they look just, at each other. and they just look at each other, and Lieutenant Dan says, what are you two brothers? 
because they both answer the same way when they first yeah. meet him. And they both have that that vacant expression and they look at each other and say, we are not relations. relations sir. Sir. <laughs> as if they would be. Like, yeah, as if they're like looking at each other being like, no, oh, he must think that we actually are brothers. Yeah, or they're looking <laughs> in the head going, are we brothers? <laughs> and they're best friends. And he says that, what's he says? He was my best good friend. Oh, man, it gets me every time. And that, when he dies. That, oh. Now, it's like the realisation, I think, that gets me, that when he runs out and he's like, Bubba! Bubba! And, and he's only saved like, oh. your lads. God, man, I'm actually, like, feeling feeling it now. Like, every yeah, time, he's like, always my best good friend. And you're just like, oh, fuck, man. It's and like a Lieutenant Dan tries to stop him, and he says, where are you going, you idiot? And he's like, ah, it's that line. Remember, he's like, I gotta I find Bubba. And then he oh. runs, because the whole, for anybody that doesn't know, the whole, uh, an airstrike is being called in. They're going to drop napalm on the whole area. And he runs back in, and then he finds Bubba. And then at that moment, Heart you know, break. when he finds him, he's on the ground, and he's, uh, his body's covered in, in trees and he yeah. pulls the trees off and he sees the injuries and he says, oh, oh no, no, Bubba. And oh. then he grabs him and he runs. And you know, for that scene when I read it, which is deadly, they had Bubba, the actor, McKaylee, uh, have it written here. He was in loads of things and they actually wanted Dave Chappelle for that role. What? McKelty Williamson is his name. Yeah, so they had Ice Cube turned it down, Dave Chappelle turned it down and so did David Alan Greer, who you know is the, he's the policeman in Jumanji. <clears throat> Shit. So they all turned it down and uh, Dave Chappelle said he thought it wasn't going to be a success. Idiot. <clears throat> I love Dave Chappelle. Yeah, <laughs> but they had him. So in that scene, they, they they did obviously the bombing of it and then they had stunt doubles and then they put the two lads in to just film the running and they had McKelty Williams on a rope. So when you look at that scene, he's not actually carrying him. He's on a rope and he just has his arms under him so then they could get him to run faster. So, because of you would tie in with the story of him being a very good runner. Because I was thinking, I was like, when he was fucking running like that, I was like, Jesus Christ, he's a big fella. He's and he's big. He's twice the size of yeah, Tom, Tom Hanks. Like he's a big man and he's muscly and he's he's a like he's a big fella. But at that moment, like, what did he say? If I never, knew, if I knew this was the last time I was going to speak to Bubba, I would have thought of something better to say. And he just goes, "Ha, hey, Bubba." Bubba. <laughs> uh, he says, "Hey, Bubba." And he says, Hey, Forrest. And then they're sitting there and he's like, he died at the end. Uh, and he, it, he, but he says he died on the river there, uh, by the river in Vietnam. And whenever he loses somebody, it cuts back to him in modern time, or sorry, in, um, in real time, modern day. And he just says, and that's all I have to say about say, that. Yeah. And it's a beautiful way of just his way of dealing with death. <laughs> it's, it's, I feel like that's the time, Earl, for me, it's like, so obviously he's an adult physically, but I think that that's when his brain is starting to really mature because like, he's like, fuck, I have a best friend and now he's dead. So it's kind of like, for me, I, I saw that as like, then his brain, his mind is starting to mature to the world around him a little bit, you know? Yeah, he is. Cause then after that, he starts to be, meet some more nefarious characters. Like he meets a lot darker people. He meets, um, like obviously Lieutenant Dan's life's not going exactly great. He meets like before that he's never really lost somebody. His mom tells his dad's on vacation, and he says, "What's vacation mean?" He just means it's when you go somewhere and you don't come back. Yeah. And uh, and that also, by the way, when his mom gets him into school, that scene is traumatizing. When she fucking she she's right your man. Teacher. Yeah, and he's just out on the fucking swing. Oh man, like she's on the swing, and then he comes out and he's like, uh, 
your mama sure does care about your schooling, boy. And he goes, you don't say much, do you? And he just goes, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> oh, it's fucking horrible. It just always, yeah. it always makes me skin crawl. Uncomfortable. Yeah, I... but I think, yeah, you're right. That's when his kind of life starts to change when Bubba dies because more stuff starts to happen in his life and it's more adult and he's is like Jenny, the Vietnam War, fucking all these major things that would happen. seriously fuck you up. Yeah. I, <laughs> like the, my, I think my favorite funny part of the film, we start skipped it just in the Vietnam, Vietnam thing is like when they're in that basic training and they're talking about the shrimp thing and stuff. But when the drill sergeant's like, come, why did you put that uh, weapon together so fast? He's like, because you told me to, drill sergeant. He's like, God damn it, come, you're a goddamn genius. <laughs> you must have an IQ of 170. <laughs> so, and he's just, and then he says, Put that gun back together, gump, and he just uh, immediately. And that's, and that's a cut of when uh, Bubba is talking about the shrimp because he stops for a sec. He has that little scene, and then he looks at him walk away, and he goes, "You can shrimp it, Bob," and he cuts back in. And man, that's Brilliant. one of the examples of kind of the the childlike, because he takes everything so literally. If literally. you tell him something, he will do it, which saves his life. Because obviously, one of the major aspects of the film is people telling him to run away. And they're like, run. And it's kind of that whole fight or flight thing. Yeah. And I was thinking about it. And the only time he fights is when it comes to Jenny. So, like, he batters your man at the beginning who's kissing her outside the sorority house. He, he batters your man who hits her, her boyfriend, that he meets in Washington. Um, he always fights for her. And then every other time when it comes to him, he fucking legs it because people tell him to. And he says, run. Okay. He doesn't second guess. He just runs. Like, Lieutenant Dan tells him to run in Vietnam he runs off then he goes back and saves everybody so saves loads of people and um, Jenny tells him to run in that very famous par- like it's parodied by everybody that run Forrest run and he fucking <laughs> legs it and the lads are chasing him as a kid and then they're chasing him with a car yeah and the smoke coming the smoke coming <laughs> off the back of him and everything and his expression you were talking about his vacant expression in that he's just like yeah, just nothing. His arms are moving, but there's nothing in behind the eyes. And that, as you said, like, why did you make that gun so fast first? And, or like, why sit next to those women in home economics class? And then there was there's some deadly ones. It makes him kind of the best soldier of all time because he will he do... Does. He just takes that thing literally. He's the best cadet because he will do everything you want. And all yeah. of that is conducive to having a brilliant soldier. <laughs> and I was thinking about that bit, man, like, regimented life really suits him like making and he says he's like you make your bed you shine your shoes you get up you uh, answer him all the time with yes drill sergeant yeah and it's, it's his whole life like he says um like i have had a, i wrote that down like why did you put the gun together so fast and then he's like uh what's the one when he gets shot in the arse so he gets shot when he's saving them and he Don't says hit me. <laughs> Don't hit me and then your man says um that thing that bit you was a bullet wasn't it he says yeah. bullet and he says but bitchy, he said, "Yes, sir." He goes, um, "Hit me right in the buttocks," <laughs> and he says, "They said it was a million dollar wound." And he goes, "The U.S. Army must keep that money because I ain't seen a nickel of that million dollars." <laughs> <laughs> like just taking everything so literal, and it's true. through the whole it's through the whole film. Yeah, and a lot of it is around Lieutenant Dan. Like uh, there's a gorgeous moment when he's lying on the floor, and he says, uh, "I used to be." What did he say? Says, um, I used to be Lieutenant Dan. Yeah, I was Lieutenant Dan Taylor, and he says, "You still are Lieutenant Dan." And, uh, yeah, and that to, and then Lieutenant Dan sits back and kind of a, takes it on board, and then w- crawls. I was going to say walks away. He's no fucking <laughs> leg. 
and then crawls away. Um, but Forrest is literally just saying, "Well, you're still, you still are." Like, yeah, and he doesn't mean no with this philosophical yeah. meaning. He just means you still are Lieutenant Dan. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> or, or when he says, um, "Oh, what does he say?" He says something. Lieutenant Dan says something about his legs, and he turns. He goes, "But you ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dan." I know that. Yeah. What's that line? What he says. Um, um, oh, he comes down. He's like, oh, I thought I'd join you and get my sea legs. It's part of your decision. Yeah, and he's like, but you legs. ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> And he's like, and he just looks at him and goes, I know that. <laughs> he's like, I'm well fucking aware of the fact. And I have no legs. And later on, man, Jeremy says, I actually have it written there, try and see legs. Maybe he's, what's he, says? he goes, um, he says, maybe you should pray for shrimp. And then the next scene is him in church and he's in a gospel choir. And he's just like this. He's just at the back and he's not moving. And he's just no along. Oh, it's fucking brilliant. Like, he takes everything so literal. I think that's what makes him beautiful and amazing as a character. He what? sees the world for yeah. what it is. <clears throat> what What do you think? I was trying to figure out, what are all the things he causes? So, he causes Watergate because he's in the fucking, um, he's in the hotel and he calls <laughs> the police. And I'm like, what else does he cause? Well, at the beginning, at uh, the very, very start, the first thing he kind of causes is uh, he gives Elvis Presley his dance. So yeah. <laughs> his mother runs that halfway house and he said, yeah. people were always passing through. And one time there's this guy with a guitar and then it's Elvis. <laughs> and playing guitar. She's playing guitar. And you know, Kurt Russell did the voice for him. Did he? Yeah, Kurt Russell did the voice. And if you listen Girl. back, I listened to it last night and it's fucking Kurt Russell. Uh, so I think that was the first one was, was Elvis Presley. Then yeah, the next the one... Vietnam War. I don't know if that's the next one, but you do have the Vietnam War. Um... Well, he meets, what's your man's name? Uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, Sasha Barrett Cohen plays him in the brand new. Oh, uh, fucking. Oh, he's yeah. He's a big anti war protester. Where I'm only after watching that. Abby, Abby Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he, he meets Abby Hoffman after he gets back from Vietnam. He meets, he gets the Medal of Honor. He meets, uh, he, he plays, he, I think he meets JF Kennedy, first of all. Yeah. And then he meets. Yeah, taking all the Pepsi's and he tells him that he, no, that's Lyndon Johnson. He's on the All American uh, football team, so he goes yeah. to first of all he's running and then he accidentally runs across the football field. They scout him for college, send him to college, and he just he runs. Plays for Alabama. I'm sure. For Alabama. Like, I'm sure there's like a thing there that like the years that he was playing were like probably years that Alabama fucking won, like in real life. Yeah, probably I'd say so. And they just added him to the roster because yeah, and he uh, that final scene where he's running and he's like. College was confusing times. Yes, everybody's yeah. just telling him to run, and everybody's just then yeah. telling him, and he runs right out of the fucking venue because no one tells him Um, then he met. So that's when he met JFK. Yeah. And then he left college, and he was handed the flyer about the army. So he went to the army, and after that, he army. met. Uh, he met Lyndon Johnson, who was the president, and he told Lyndon Johnson that he was shot, and he showed him, wasn't it? No, he, yeah, he told Kennedy he had to pee, and yeah, he Johnson that he had to. Pee. He was shot. And then he Nixon, he tells Nixon about the water about Watergate and water and tells now Nixon's the one that puts him in the Watergate hotel <laughs> and he rings saying and he rings back, lads. <laughs> uh, I can't I, get asleep. It's funny that I didn't even think of it, but like you said at the start, um, how much it did teach you about American history. Fuck, like I didn't even think about it. Like I would have never known much about the Vietnam War or about like lots of stuff that goes on 
But having seen this as a kid, those things were in my brain. That that's what yeah. happened in America. And I think we knew who JFK was, but it taught you a bit more about him and his. And the Vietnam War was never that was never taught to us in school. We yeah. always had uh, European history and Irish history, obviously rightly so, because that's where we're from. But yeah, it really taught me so much. And then I was in Vietnam last year, and I was obsessed with the Vietnam War. Just because yeah. you're there, you're researching it all, you're seeing these real places, hearing the stories, meeting people who are actually in it. It's a uh, Excuse me, it's heartbreaking and fascinating at the same time. And yeah, it taught me so much. And it made you want to know more because it doesn't give you everything because it can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it but just gives you... you like little tidbits here. It's like, oh, here's this. It's like he has his fingers and all. Like when he plays in ping pong, <laughs> like he becomes a ping pong international star. Like, And he ends up going, he never goes back to service because he goes and plays against. He's like, right. they, 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 they decided the best way for me to fight the communists was playing ping pong. <laughs> and they have him in China in Imperial China playing ping pong against some fella oh another yeah. thing he does he gives he makes the song Imagine for John Lennon <laughs> yeah no no uh, possessions oh it's not hard to imagine if you try <laughs> yeah and he's at um, the, uh, I was uh, you know you were talking about your man uh, you were talking about the Alabama football team I saw it online I can't remember the coach's name, but there's some really famous coach that was there and he was his coach. So I think you're right about what you said about that being accurate historically. Okay. I, uh, so here, there's an interesting thing, okay? So I don't know if you've heard about this, but apparently, so Forrest Gump is apparently like a, a figurehead like for um, conservatives in America. Like people use him as a poster boy, conservatives. Um, and they use the film itself as opposed to, well, even though um, Forrest Gump has said that the um, film itself is like atypical or apolitical, like it doesn't lean either way. But so Republicans yeah. apparently use the film as like Forrest Gump is like the right Republican. And then Jenny is like the leftist who like does the all the drugs. Yeah, the, and <laughs> fucked up. And like then I was thinking the reason that John Lennon writes Imagine is because and he's like, oh, he's saying all these things about China. So now I'm going to write Imagine. Yeah. So I didn't think of that. I was like, okay, so is this like, they're saying that communism is bad? And like John Lennon's, Lennon's bad because of liberal? Because he wrote Imagine like about China? I was like, because that's what it does. Like It does. And I, I saw something about it that they've tried to push it on the, that it was a conservative film because Forrest Gump does no wrong. And I, one of the changes from the book, somebody said they took all the bad traits of Forrest and gave them to Jenny. For the film right so like the fact that she's a bit of you know she fights against the system she's another moment that he's in obviously the anti-war protest at the mm-hmm. washington monument she's there she's involved in drugs she her life isn't going right she's she's an anarchist really she, yeah. not, no not so much an anarchist but she she revolts against the system rage against the machine she's, and you could you can't really fault their logic. It does look that way, but I know all the makers have come out and said, no, Forrest Gump is a film about love and acceptance. And yeah. you can't really fault them on that either. Because it is. If you like, no matter what, you could, like even me saying that, like I'm finding like the little tidbits, like, you know, it's like obviously yeah. John Lennon didn't write Imagine fucking about China. clever ways of just putting in stuff that but, Forrest Gump like that, I think you could... And I think this is what the Republicans are doing. I don't know if they did it, but are, are obviously they're still not doing it. But you could paint a picture any way you want, or like you could turn it to be like that. Yeah, you can. If you read into anything you want, if you overanalyze it, you can find the answers you want in pretty much in, anything. 
true yeah and i think just what you said like your initial question uh what he influenced he didn't really influence anything that wasn't good or bad he kind of influenced a bit of everything mm, yeah yeah a little bit left, i think a like just because right. he, he yeah a little bit of, i don't know if he really had because he doesn't have a side he doesn't have an agenda no, he, but he doesn't he, understand do you he know doesn't understand I mean? yeah he doesn't have the intellectual capabilities to have any sort of agenda with regards to the left or the right mm-hmm. um but people will read into whatever they want man won't they yeah um, true Oh yeah, well, and you know what? Just sorry, just to what you said when one of my favorite things that he influenced is like they finish Bubba Gump and then he says uh, he decided to invest in some kind of fruit company. <laughs> and he opens the letter and it's like Apple Incorporated. <laughs> Apple, he, he invested in some kind of fruit company. Some kind of fruit company. It's like we don't have to worry about money no more, which is good. One less thing to worry about. One less, one less thing. <laughs> And he's cutting grass, and he's he's like, since I was a good, he, what's he says, a gajillionaire. He's like, since I was a gajillionaire, I decided to cut that grass for free. I like doing it so much. <laughs> I like so much. And he's when he's running, like he decides to run, and he's on a and uh, he meets two fellas who are down on their luck. Do you remember he meets the the fellow with the have a nice day? We mentioned it earlier, and he hands yeah, him yeah. A, a piece of muck, a big a load of muck splashes up from a car right, in a puddle yeah. and he hands him a yellow and says nobody likes that colour and he wipes his face and he gives it back and it's a smiley face and he just says have a nice day and runs off and then he's running and he stands in shit and your man says whoa you just done the big pile of shit and he goes it happens and he goes what shit sometimes <laughs> so good why <sighs> why do you think why do you think he's running what like I think yeah, I was trying to, because you're looking, you're going, why is he running? And why did they put it in? Because it wasn't in the book. <clears throat> like, it's one of those films, I was thinking about the line he says before he runs. He says, and for no particular reason at all, I decided to go for a run. And he's like, I just figured that I'd run to the edge of the, the house. And he says, once I got there, I said, why don't I run into town? And then when I got yeah. there, I said, why don't I run straight across Greenbow, the great state of Alabama? Yeah, Alabama. So in any other film, you wouldn't believe that a character just decides to run for no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. But with Forrest Gump, you kind of do. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you would buy the fact that he just wanted to run and yeah. then in doing so he un- it ties in with everything else that he unwilling unknowingly influences and yeah. he ends up influencing so many people and he ends up getting this huge amount of followers because he's running and do you remember they're all behind him when he's yeah. running and it starts to pick up and they're like you're like a big I'm inspiration sorry. and I said there's, there's a guy that has it all together and I thought why don't I do that and he, he follows him yeah. So I think it was it ties in with his character trait of not knowing um, too much about anything, but he just says, "Right, this is my gut feeling. I'm going to go for a run," and then unknowingly influencing so many people positively, which is what he does in his whole entire life. I think, well, at least I was thinking from it that like he's just like, "I'm just going to run," but I'd like to think that on some base level while he's running, because he says he's thinking about Jenny, he's thinking about all. I think he's thinking about his whole life that he's working shit in his head but he doesn't yeah. know he's working shit out in his head. Yeah, I think he initially just decided to run because he wanted to run, but then as he was doing it, he started to think a lot about everything and clear his yeah. mind. But I don't know if that would have been his initial intention. No, definitely not, which he's yeah. probably never done. Like, he's never, he's probably never been like, right, I'm just running here. Nobody yeah. told me to do this. <laughs> I guess I'll start thinking. And there's nobody around and he's just thinking and then he's looking at beautiful things. He says that to her. When he says you don't know which is the sky and which is the, 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 the heaven and which is the fucking sky, yeah, or something like which where yeah, I can't remember the exact line, but he does think about it a lot, and then he that kind of reconnects him with Jenny as well. 
Yeah. Where, where, did he, where did he, like, when he was running, where did he change clothes? Where did he shit? Like, I know he says, when I needed to do it, I did it. But, like, where? 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 He's running. <laughs> and he, like, where the fuck? Because I know, like, Mike Posner ran, you know, that artist, he ran across, uh, walked across America, but he had a whole entourage with him. I don't think Forrest yeah. Gump had a fucking entourage in his back pocket. He didn't, he didn't look have like a he had a wallet. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that was my thing. I was like, where did he pay for shit? Like, he, I know he's a millionaire, but, like, he didn't, like, have a credit card. He didn't have it. anything. <laughs> and they, they kind of make it look like he's, because he's in the same clothes from a lot of it. So it looks yeah. like he's just, he's not changing and he's sleeping, but you're then going, where's he eating? But they're all questions. You go, ah, fuck it. I'll just dispel. No, it's a I'll film. Get those. Yeah, exactly. It's a film. I'll just let it pass. And if you start doing that with this particular film, you fucking unravel the whole thing. You're like, what is oh, that? Really? That doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> like, so, because we snip back and forth from Forrest to Jenny. And, like, sometimes we, like, when we just have little clips of her, it's always her, like, going down a bat. Or, like, there's that one time when she gets on the ledge again, like you were talking about when she does on the bridge. And then, like, she's, like, I think she's on heroin or something. But she gets on the ledge of the hotel room. Do you think, like... Do you think her whole story, her whole story is just trying to work through all the bad shit that happened in her life or like basically with her childhood, with her dad? And like, do you think that like every time that she's like, fucking we go back to her and it's getting worse, like that her like coming close to killing herself is her not being able to work through that? Um, I think, yeah, that's a, I think that's exactly what it is. I think she has a lot of stuff that she needs to work out in her head. And I think she sees in a way that Forrest is so pure. And that uh, he is so childlike, and she she says it. She's like she's running away from him. She's running. She says it in the film. She's running away. She said, "You don't want to love me first. And uh, I think the whole film is her trying to work out, in a way, how she can survive on this planet. Because she starts to to go through a lot of stuff. She she goes to college that doesn't work out. She tries to go into music. She gets you know um uh subjected to a lot of like she's basically just put up on the fucking stage in her knickers so she doesn't get yeah. a chance to actually pursue that then afterwards she falls into the hippie movement she starts to use all these hallucinogenics which will then fuck up your brain even more so i think everything she tries doesn't help and all mm-hmm. along the thing that helps her is forced and she yeah. finds that then later on when they reconnect and that mirrors that scene again when as a kid she climbs up into his room with during the storm and she comes into the room during the storm then for the moment when yeah. they sleep together and uh, obviously conceived a child but yeah I think the whole film she's trying to work out her own identity and who she is because of the abuse that she suffered as a kid yeah I I was thinking that's definitely the first time he's ever been with a woman only time I think the only time yeah I think so like cause I was, I was like there wouldn't have been any other time you know like and I think for anyone else that has the kind of knowledge or ideas to like anybody with a bit of a sex drive i don't know if he has one <clears throat> but they do i don't know like he's not asexual because he does kiss her back and they do have sex but even when remember when he's in that scene with lieutenant dan the girls and the girls are trying it on and he's like you and yeah, then yeah. he kisses him and he's like she tastes that cigarette <laughs> and he pushes her off and then lieutenant dan falls in his wheelchair and she's like, yeah, oh, yeah. you can't win an argument because the girls just laugh at him and run out the bitches. Exactly. Um. Yeah, it's a... I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a fucking... I think it's the only time he's ever been with a woman. Definitely. And yeah. in his eyes, that that's all that matters because it's the only woman he's ever wanted. Ever wanted, yeah. I guess... 
I mean, watching him in a way is like because you can be. I feel like you can be envious of an audience because you're just like, geez, it's just he just doesn't. Everything's so simple for him. He just doesn't overthink stuff. Yeah, he doesn't, and it's a kind of way like he lives with no anxiety, no stress. He just lives his life day by day. Something happens, he decides to do it. He does. Obviously, like some horrible stuff happened to him. Like he loses Bubba, then he loses his mom, then he loses Jenny. Like, and I think that would cripple a lot of people. But because of his outlook on life, he just goes on with it. He's like, dying is a part. He says that beautiful line. It's like, uh, Mama says, uh, dying was a part of life. I wish it wasn't. Wasn't like that's what he thinks. He's like, I know it's a part of life, but I wish it wasn't. And it's fucking yeah, yeah, but it is. And I think that's as simple as his as uh, his thinking goes on it. I think they possibly, when they were casting his like son, they were just like, right, we need to get the most adorable little boy ever. <laughs> yeah, Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> yeah. And I read that they discovered him in a shopping centre or something. <laughs> and and just him, like Robert Sammy, just, um, just shopping, getting a bit of shop. He's like, that's him. That's the kid. I want him. <laughs> I've always had this thing, you know, when you hear from movies, he was just found walking around a Walmart. You're like... All right, that's grand. He was just doing his shopping. But if someone came up to me and I was a father and my son was with me and they're like, we want to use your kid for a movie. I'm like, get the fuck away from me. Call the police. Get like, out of here, you. Fucking, I don't know what sick shit you're into, mister, but I'm not fucking doing it with my son. Isn't it true, though? It's always, they were seen just walking around the fucking a, yeah. a Walmart or they caught him in, in Gap. It's always Gap. <laughs> that's what um, buddy and actors need to do man just start walking around Gap and I've always thought you know like why doesn't it happen to me <laughs> not me I don't want to be an actor what's wrong with me <laughs> when you hear it happening to so many people you're like well fuck you what's, why doesn't the producer just come up to me and say want to be in a movie kid be, yeah yeah sorry mate. that's Are a you weird actor to have in Dublin mate <laughs> Well, you've never done that with your plays. Like, you've never just been walking around the shops and being like, oh, yeah, he'd be deadly as sliced the teeth. <laughs> yeah, but it's the same again. I'd assume that they'd just go, you fucking weirdo, get away from me. <laughs> and they'd tell me to fuck off. No, well, would... if, you went, if you went to the right bar. If you went to the right bar, that'd get you in trouble. And uh, you ask somebody to be in your play, they'd, uh, you'd, they'd love you. <laughs> They're not the kind of people you want in your play. <laughs> no, that's true. Well, um, at the end, now, this is like, I know this is a negative way of looking at it, but do you think Jenny just reaches out to him because she's going to die? And she it's needs hard not to, to think that, isn't it? That she's uh, like, I know he's a millionaire. Um, I know I need my son taken care of. I know this fella will. I, don't I need even to know marry him. To like, <laughs> yeah. make a legal. Yeah, she's like, if you look at it in the bad way, like, do you know what I mean? Like, is she doing that so legally her son will be taken care of? Because she does wait a while. Like, the kid is what? Four? Maybe? Around is that, he? yeah. Three or four? You would wonder, because it's not like he's a fella. Yes, he does get around a bit in the film. He goes to Vietnam. He goes here. He goes there. But she knows where he lives. Yeah. And you kind of wonder why she didn't reach out sooner. And it's hard not to, because the minute she meets him, I was looking at it, 10 minutes of that film... It goes by in an instant. He meets Jenny. They reconcile. He finds out he has a kid. Then she tells him that she's sick. Then she dies. Like, they start to get married. And then she's fucking dead. Like, they're pretty much... She's still warm from the wedding. And they're fucking dead. Like, she's in the ground. And 
I like to think of it because I love the movie so much that I like to try to think of it in a way maybe she knew he'd love the kid and look after him so well that that's why she reached out. Yeah. But in reality, she's a gold digger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's a gold digger, man. But she's not maybe because she she did she knew he's had money a long time and she could have been gold digging. It always annoyed me when I was younger that she just fucking shows up and just used them and pisses off. Yeah. You know, like she, she shows up and she's gone. But like, like we don't even know if that's his son. I love that line when she says, and that is brilliant that's acting brilliant. as well. That's that's also heartbreaking, or just not even heartbreaking. It's, it's phenomenal emotion. acting. Yeah. The, yeah. the emotional range of him, because he goes from comedy to fucking drama so fast. He talks and he says, um, he's be- she's like, your mama, Jenny. And you're like, oh, this is lovely. And she says, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, his name's Forrest. He's like, like me. And he says, yeah. And he says, uh, I named him after his daddy. And she goes, he got a daddy named Forrest. Name Forrest. <laughs> yeah, the and then, oh. you fucking idiot. And then she goes, um, she says to him, you're his daddy, Forrest. And he looks at her, takes a step back. And then he's thinking and you can see him processing it. See and then it in his face, yeah. You can see it in his face. And it's that moment where he almost breaks when she says, or he says, um, is he smart? or is he? And he kind of cripples in his voice when he's thinking about himself. Yeah. So he is, as it ties into what you said, that self-awareness as to, what comes and who around. he is comes around yeah. and he does say it later he says I'm not a smart man he knows that but yeah. when he breaks in that moment he just like oh it pulls on your st- heart and then oh. she says he's the smartest in this class and he starts to cry right. and then yeah. she, he says um, he's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen and he asks can you go in and sit down yeah and, and you're sit- right in what you were saying earlier on it's like in a lesser in the hands of a lesser actor like that would come off not great but like it's like when he says it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen you just you believe that it is so genuine <laughs> it is and I think that's with all the movie there's so many lines that can border on gimmicky and with the script it's it's you're treading dangerous water but with Tom Hanks you're always safe he always oh, have, yeah. has the armbands on you <laughs> you know, you're always paddling you're always good he has a lilo there if you need it maybe a little inflatable <laughs> crocodile you're always sorted with Tom Hanks yeah, inflatable. there's a 99 ice cream on the corner there if you want it <laughs> yeah and if, you, if you're really stuck and everything bursts he'll jump in and save you he's a good swimmer <laughs> Captain Phillips he's the captain now he's the captain alright um, I have a few quick fire questions here if you're right oh not like what was the last one when explain the film in 10 seconds <laughs> go on right you ready yeah alright standout performance like in a film that has like Robin Roy Sally Field who we didn't even talk about I'm kind of pissed off it didn't because she's amazing as his mother and she's just so good. beautiful uh, you, you have to kind of go with the main man don't you you have to kind of go with Tom Hanks even though you, as you said you have McKelty uh, you have Tom Hanks, you have Gary Sinise, Robin Roy. You have these amazing actors. I think Tom Hanks is the... That's fair. Because he carries the whole film. I think you have to go with Tom Hanks. And he, I love Tom Hanks. Yeah. I will I will say one thing about the Sally Fields is that there's so many um, actors... Yeah, the field or field. I keep calling her field. It's field, isn't it? Sally Fields. I, I say, I, I, is it? I don't know. I Maybe it is. It could be either. I I. I keep, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, Sally. Sally. Good old Sally. Sal. Um, Sal. What... One thing you got to give to her is that sometimes when they use the same actor and they just make them older with like makeup, you can be like, ah, they should have just got an older actor. 
But with yeah, her, she, looks, she does it so well. Like, she, she looks quite young and then as old. You believe her as the old man. You do. And I think it's it's acting even... Some, some just put on the prosthetics and they just put on the fake makeup, the makeup and all that stuff and the hair. But she changes her voice and how she carries yeah. herself. She embodies the whole character as an older woman. And that scene when she tells him he's, she's dying and it's just fucking heartbreaking. And I think... I was very surprised she wasn't nominated for an Oscar. <clears throat> yeah. Which she I mean, wasn't. Which that's crazy because they, they won six Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Director, Best Visual Effects. <laughs> Scott Gavada won Best Visual Effects, isn't it? Legend. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think Next it, it was the most nominated film, I think. Oh, was it? Year. Like 13, or I think it was the most nominated in like 50 years. Something, something strange like that, or in a couple of years, a good while. Very understandable. Yeah, but that year though, like you had Pulp Fiction and Shawshank were out that year. Oh shit, this beat Pulp Fiction and, and Shawshank. Shawshank. Yeah. What a year for film, man. That's why you kind of feel bad for Tim Robbins. Like their career defining uh, uh, part and it comes along once a career, it comes along and then all of a sudden you have Tom Hanks with Forrest Gump. That just beats you. And that's how Gary Sinise didn't win Best Supporting Actor. Morgan Freeman won it. Oh yeah, I suppose oh, just, that would have been a hard time. They'd be like, "All right, what are we gonna do here? Like, who are we gonna?" They're all winners in my eyes. They're all winners. All right. Um, character you most relate to? Lieutenant Dan. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I can be very angry and aggressive, and not even no, not aggressive. Maybe aggro at certain times when people aren't. Uh, listening to me or <laughs> makes me sound like <laughs> you enjoy a bit of rum sometimes uh, yeah I do yeah I like a good rum and I could easily see myself falling down the, that rabbit hole of having no legs and just being an alcoholic <laughs> veteran as you do yeah casual. as you do casual <laughs> uh, favourite scene oh, favourite scene it's so hard isn't it because comedic or dramatic I'm going to go with the boat scene where okay. He sees Lieutenant Dan, jumps off, swims over to him, and his boat is gone. And then he's <laughs> standing and then the boat just smashes into the fucking jetty and demolishes it. He's like, that's my boat. I think that's, I think that's my favourite scene. Well, it's not my favourite scene, but if you're asking me, because I like the scene where he gives the speech to Jenny's grave. Okay. That's good as well. too. I'll go with the boat. Okay. Well, I'm on a boat. Man. On a fun. boat, motherfucker. And um, favourite line. Favorite line, uh, ah, genie. Favorite line, uh, dramatic or comedic. <laughs> right, I'll give you both. You can do a comedic and a dramatic one because it's a um, it's a hard one for this film. To be fair, well, I'll go with dramatic first. I think it's that line he says that is uh at Jenny's grave when he says, "I think dying is a part of life, but I really wish it wasn't." Okay, yeah, uh, that's a good. That's a good one. I think that's a that's a nice line. Uh, and then the other one is just be uh, you ain't got no legs Lieutenant Dan <laughs> just how honest it is and he doesn't know he's absolutely tearing Lieutenant Dan's heart out of his chest <laughs> <laughs> the last one but you can take your time with this one um, what impact do you think that the film had socially and then what impact do you think it had personally socially forced Socially forced. And I think it was, obviously it was a huge success. And culturally, I think everybody knows Forrest Gump. 
it's very quotable. I think if you say, like, I think it was a, this must have been horrible to have the name Jenny in the past 25 years. <laughs> like, Jenny, I love you, Jenny. Everybody has a Forrest Gump impression. He's very easy to imitate with that yeah. strong accent, which Tom Hanks didn't actually want to do. He wanted to make it lighter. And okay. uh, I think it's one of the most parodied films of all time. I always remember watching those movies like Scary Movie, um, Mafia, all those spoofs. And mm-hmm. they always parody Forrest Gump. It's always the scene when he's running. So like culturally, it's influenced so many comedic movies that we're just taking the piss. And I think mimicry and mockery is the greatest form of flattery. Yeah. Uh, if someone takes the piss out of you, they say that's how you know you've made it. And, yeah. and also culturally, it educated people like me and you who yeah. would look at that film and learn something. So I think that's it. Yeah, socially, uh, that's how it's... Uh, that's my answer. <laughs> and personally. Personally. Uh, it's the first film I probably remember as a kid. One, as obviously I said it earlier, everybody loved it. But that I remember you can pick it up at any given point. Do you know those, those particular films that it doesn't matter if you watch it and it's on from the start, 20 minutes in, 40 minutes in, 50, an hour, mm-hmm. an hour and a half. Even if it's the last scene, you're going to watch it. You're never going to turn it off. And I think it showed me what filmmaking could be. I'm not a filmmaker. I do want to write for film one day. But I think if you look at the elements of this film, like the marriage between the script, the cast, <clears throat> the direction, the visual effects, cinematography, the com- composition, I think every single element of this film is there for a reason and it, everyone is elevated by each other. So it's kind of the rising tide raises all ships. And I think it's... It makes me laugh, it makes me cry, and it showed me what good, brilliant, I think, a masterful storytelling can be, and something that I would aspire to be able to achieve one day, even in 5% of what they achieve with this. I think that's, it, it makes, makes you want to either be an actor or write or direct. It makes you want to make art, I think, in yeah. in some way, and that's what it did for me at a very young age. So that's me with that one. <laughs> yeah. Good, man. That's, um, so Forrest Gump created a uh... All your plays, that's what you're saying. Pretty much, even though it's, my plays would be a lot darker, maybe than yeah, Forrest Gump. Would, yeah, would they? Yeah, <laughs> like, a lot darker, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, no, not at all. And yeah, man, that's fucking great. I hope I'll have you on. I say this to all my guests, and I say this every podcast, but I do hope I'll have you on again, especially because. I really enjoyed this. Um, so I want you to think of another film that you could show you on about for an hour. Yeah, I'd love to come on. I'd be on. Whenever you want to have me, I always love talking shit about films, <laughs> especially films that you care about, you know, with someone else that you know loves it because we have a very similar interest when it comes to films. Yeah, definitely. And I think Next- Forrest Gump is the perfect marriage between the two of us in regards to a <laughs> cinematic experience. I'm sure some people have listened to this and like we've just been quoting lines from it like, and they're just like, what are they talking about? But it's one of the most quotable films, I think, of all time. That's also how it showed me when you're talking about like how did it influence you and and your person like, personally. Um, it's so quotable and how to write a perfect line and how you can give it to an actor and they elevate that line. That's make oh, it better. Just makes it better. It's so quotable. It's and I have another film in my head already. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yeah. Um, well, next next week we have on um Rowie Kearney, who is a study in film. Uh, he's going to do Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And this is the first film that I haven't seen that we're doing on the podcast. So 
I'm really excited to watch it. Like, so it's the first film that I'm not going in being like, oh, I know what I'm, what we're going to talk about. I like have a thing. So it was only released. I think it's the most modern film we've done. It's only released last year. Have you, you seen want it? that? You want it to be? No, I haven't seen it. I've, I've heard of it, but I was thinking about it. You want it to be educational. And you want to watch films that you wouldn't have previously watched yourself. Yeah, most and definitely. Someone tell you why it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, he's studying film. So, uh, Rowie, if you're uh, listening to this, no pressure. No pressure. No at pressure. All. <laughs> all right Lee um, thanks for coming on again and say goodbye to the people bye people thanks we'll talk to you next week bye bye bye